listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. So good evening, everyone. I'm using the microphone, not because you need to hear me, but so the people online and at home can hear. So thanks for joining us if you're online. Thanks for joining us if you're here in the room. And if you're watching this three years from now because you found it on the website when we promoted it again, awesome. That's why we're recording it and and doing this in here. So uh, glad to have our guest, Dan and Michelle, with us uh, for this seminar that you guys have titled Our Field, Missionary Kids. So from training them to raising them and and fighting them and keeping track of them and everything in between, we're excited to hear uh, your, yeah, your insights on, uh, on missionary kids. Um, as our, I was thinking about this in terms of even our own missions family at Faith, and as our missions family as younger couples have joined, and now I think two of our families are expecting their first child. It's like this is, uh, I'll be taking notes on how to care for our friends and, and their kids. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll throw it to you guys. Uh, there's microphones there for you, and I don't see any notes or anything, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's, okay. You've got them on your phone? No, no. no I got them. Okay, all right. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening, for those who have dialed in now. Father, even for those uh, who will be listening in the future, we're grateful uh, for the technology you've given us and the ability to capture uh, what's happening here. We do pray that you would help us as we learn to care well for the kids of the people we love, um, uh, that these kids, too, may come to know you and lead others into your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's all yours. Hello, hello. Cool. Well, hello, everybody. We're very glad to be here, and uh, we. This is especially nice because we get to talk about what we want to talk about, and it's very. Normally, in everyday conversation, you take turns listening to people, but we get to do all the talking here, so this is great. And it's nice to be with the people who are online as well. I spent the last couple of years teaching online, <clears throat> or a mixture of online and in person, so this is, uh, this is right up our alley. Anyway, uh, we're Can Dan and Michelle. Can you see our foreheads? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Do we have the camera tilted so you can just see the top of my head? That was a big thing. Um, so we're Dan and Michelle Tebby, and we are missionaries in Indonesia, and our particular uh, field of ministry is teaching mis- uh, missionary kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I teach high school English. Michelle teaches all sorts of everything. Uh, most recently, it was health and PE. Um, actually, most recently, it was homeschooling with our girls, but uh, health and PE. And so this is um, a little bit about what we do there. I wanted to give you guys a sort of big picture view of uh, Indonesia and uh, the ministry that's going on there, uh, just because I think that helps to understand the support role that we play um, with the children of missionary kids. But uh, Indonesia is this archipelago, a big long chain of volcanic islands, includes uh, the Philippines, includes Papua New Guinea. Um, and it's, there's uh, 14,000 islands, um, 17,000 islands. It depends on how big you count an island, and uh, over 8,000 languages, um, tons and tons of people groups, and uh, this is a booming harvest field, and so there are uh, tons and tons of uh, people who are hearing the gospel for the first time, who are having the gospel translated into their home language, 
uh, for the first time, and then also uh, tons and tons of Muslims uh, who are coming to Christ. And so one of the interesting statistics that I heard uh, is, um, I think in the past 12 years, maybe it's 13 or 14 at this point, uh, there have been more Muslims that have come to Christ than in the rest of history combined. And uh, just seeing the uh, growth of the home church movement there, which is what our colleagues are involved, I believe it. It's, uh, it's some pretty exciting stuff. Um, let's see. <clears throat> the school that we're at, uh, Mountain View, Mountain View Christian School. Uh, this is a school that was started uh, to help missionary kids um, to serve and uh, give the uh, missionaries who are working there in Indonesia a uh, way of educating their children uh, without having to leave the field or without having to send them off to boarding school. Um, right now, the demographics of the school, it's about 40% uh, Korean and 30% uh, um, uh, Indonesians and then 30% Westerners is about the general uh, demographics there. It's hard to tell how many of the uh, kids are missionary kids and how many of them their parents are involved with business simply because there's so many businessmen who uh, have come over to Indonesia and are doing business as missions and so if their business is profitable if they don't have to raise support are they really missionaries you know or if they're part of a regular business and they're just committed Christians and uh, they are reaching out to people I mean do they count as businessmen or would they count as uh, Christian service workers so it's, um, the, it's about 60 to 70% of our student body are Christian, either um, in terms of their commitment to the Lord or in terms of their cultural identity. And so uh, in Indonesia, everybody is one of seven different religions, and uh, Christian is one, Christianity is one of the religions that's allowed. And uh, so there's a number of people um, that we have who are cultural Christians, but they wouldn't say that they have a very important relationship with God. So this is a little bit about the, uh, what the demographics of the school are like. Um, what a typical class looks like is just a, a wide range of uh, languages, a uh, wide range of uh, different shapes of faces and um, different cultures and stuff. And uh, that is both challenging and incredibly charming. So. Um, a little bit about the day-to-day -day life of living and working in Indonesia. Indonesia is hot. Um, it's uh, very crowded. So the island that we're on, Java, uh, it takes about uh, two to three hours to drive from the north side to the south side. It's real long and skinny from east to west. And it takes uh, over 20 hours to drive from the easternmost tip to the westernmost tip. And so it's pretty, pretty good size. And the whole island has the uh, population density of Los Angeles County. And so it is lots and lots of people. And there's lots of fields. There's lots of rice fields and mountainous areas. So it's not all just populated. I mean, it's not people. Right. It's people living on top of people and right next to people and everywhere where the places where there's people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the places where people live is very crowded. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, there's a lot of motorbikes and um, Everything is uh, disorganized, and when I say disorganized, it's very relational. And so uh, there might not be a perceivable order to things, but if you have friends and you ask for help, and then everybody's very willing to help you, and uh, things get done really just about as easily as uh, you know here in America or, or in Germany where we lived earlier. Do that as efficiently. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe not as efficiently, but <clears throat> it's, uh, it, yeah, anyway. Um, the, the, the people that we are supporting are uh, involved in uh, the discipleship making movement. And uh, this is a network of home churches uh, where um, they will go and uh, strike up a conversation uh, with somebody and um, a Muslim and say, you know, it's the, the prophet uh, tells us to, uh, you know, sort of study the prophets and um, the patriarchs. And uh, have you had a chance to get into that at all? Well, no, I haven't. Well, we're going to have this uh, study. You know, they usually start with Abraham. This is like a common, um, a common character that Christians and Muslims don't argue about. Um, and uh, maybe you could bring some friends along. And so you have a group of friends come along and they read the Bible and they argue about it. And they might not agree with anything, but they leave arguing and they come back the next week arguing some more. And uh, over the course of time, they're exposed to more and more scripture. And they just let the Holy Spirit do its work. And uh, the number of home churches that have come right from this discipleship-making movement has grown and grown. And uh, I think they're on the seventh generation, as near as we can tell, they're on the seventh generation. So a church sort of grows, and then they go and plant another church, and then that church plants another church, and so on and so forth. And so this is a big part of, uh, of what the, um, the Christians in Indonesia are doing. Uh, some friends of ours, they went and spent a long time uh, doing data collection, and uh, they got all this butcher paper out and spread it out on a big conference table and they did a flow chart of all the churches that they were aware of, of all the um, home churches that they were aware of, and it's several thousand. And so it's some, uh, some very neat, very exciting stuff. Um, I'm gonna turn this over to Michelle because uh, part of the DMM movement is this women's ministry uh, that she and some of her friends were a part of. And Yeah, so related to that, um, we've got, I don't know, I wanna say maybe over 100 Indonesian pastors that our teammates are working with. There are, some of our teammates teach at the, the theology school in Yogyakarta, maybe two hours away, and they're training pastors, Indonesian pastors, to spread the gospel. Uh, they're also working with pastors all over Java and other islands, and these pastors, Indonesian pastors, are going to other islands and remote places, reaching out to other Indonesians. Um, the other thing is there's theology students coming in from all these islands, from different islands and different people groups. I mean, it's Indonesia, but lots of people groups, languages. And then they go back to their island or back to another island um, to start a church, to help a church, whatever. So this is men's movement has been going on for quite a while, several decades. But uh, we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to employ a high school, no, a college gal who babysat Katie and Juliet when we first started language school. And she was finishing university. We helped to pay her university and she watched the girls. She was getting her degree in, in education, but she was very good in English. So she could speak to the girls in English, but also did Indonesian and, and she speaks Javanese as well. Very bright young lady. So we helped her and learned that her other sister was a house helper for one of our teammates. Um, another sister is a gardener. Another sister is a seamstress. There's seven sisters. So needless to say, they all do various things, but she was the first in college. So we helped her finish, even helped her graduate. And then she went off to Jakarta, near Jakarta, and taught at an international school for three years. 
Uh, so when she left, we were very thankful for her help, and then her sister had done some sewing for us. So I employed her sister a bit more because she was still in town. And then another sister who was the gardener, I said, well, I could use help starting my garden and getting, learning some things. So she helped us and her husband build a little greenhouse, get a garden started. It was wonderful. Uh, needless to say, the seamstress and the gardener were both, they just have hearts for evangelism. They just want to tell people Christian, about Christian Jesus. Girls. Yeah, this is a Christian family, very mm. wounded and needy family, very poor Christian family. Several of the uh, sisters have three or four kids, and their husbands aren't working or very little work, and so the wives just get any jobs they can. So we've helped with their kids' education. We've helped with all kinds of various things. And, but mainly giving them jobs because that helps them to be employed. It helps them to feel, we know they, they're just proud of their work. I mean, they are an amazing gardener and amazing seamstress. And then we've gotten work for them within the expat community. I've just kind of spread the word, hey, I've got a great gardener and my seamstress, look what she made. Isn't this amazing? Or you need some, you need a button sewn on or just put elastic in the back of your pants for your kids or holes, whatever. There's just all kinds of things that you can hire her to do for 30 cents. <laughs> and it's amazing. Uh, in the meantime, just encouraging these women as they're reaching out, one of our teammates uh, used our gardener and she, as she was talking with her and my teammate learned Javanese and Indonesian so she could do even more. Her husband was working with the men's group well, they just started involving her in, we, I don't know how it actually started, but two or three years ago, she just started reaching out to Muslim women and inviting them to read the Bible. And again, these women are poor and they have family problems and they have marriage issues and lots of money issues. But um, as my friend was kind of discipling her and helping her, she just kept helping her start more groups and saying, why don't you start another women's group? Or she'll say, uh, this gal, her, we call her Rebecca, She's started another group in another village, or her friend who was in this group told her neighbor, and now there's a group of women meeting in their neighborhood. Needless to say, in the last two years, this group has grown from 50, 60 women to like 1,000 and more, and we're going, what is happening? She had to stop gardening for me. Um, so this was Rebecca, and she is full-time with my teammates now. They are trying to disciple them through marriage issues and money issues and helping the leaders. So now there's eight women's leaders who do this and are reaching out in various villages all over. Her sister, who's significantly younger and yet not yet married, who's my, our seamstress, she too in her little church started leading a small group, and she's drawing Muslim young ladies into her church. She's about 26 and is discipling them, coming alongside them, just really has a heart for the Lord. But she also wants to work and support herself, not always be dependent on her family. And she's not married, which in Indonesian culture, technically she would stay home and take care of parents, older parents, but um, her, her mother's passed away, their mother passed away, but her father is in need of help a little bit. So she's trying to balance all that, and I'm just trying to help her, so every week we get together and pray, and I have jobs for her and getting more people. This is just one family that we've been encouraged to see how God has worked in their lives, and there's still a long way to go. But God is working, and um, we are excited to see what he's done in women's ministry. And some of these women who are coming to these little Bible studies, now their husbands are interested. And these aren't people that are churchgoers. These are full-on Muslims that want to know 
what is this my wife is getting into and why is she treating me more respectfully and why are the kids happier going to these teen groups? They're getting teen groups started. So we're just seeing God do amazing things and just for people reaching out. She's, we've funded them starting organic vegetables, especially during the pandemic and they were giving out boxes of food when people couldn't get food. They're trying to shut the country down but you can't cut a, shut a country down that lives hand to mouth. I mean, you don't work one day and your family doesn't eat the next day. So uh, just seeing how they've helped uh, women who are coming out of everywhere <laughs> just because, and a lot of these women, their husbands have left their home and they have three or four kids and no income. So God is just opening doors in amazing ways through his incredible, and people being healed, people, just amazing stories. So we're very thankful that we've kind of got a little piece of that pie just by encouraging them and helping give them business and saying to our missionary friends, hey, you can get a shirt made for $5 and it's beautiful new batik shirt. It's just amazing what God can do when we're, we've heard him and listened to him. We also help with a ministry, our women, sorry, I was just gonna talk about Pearl. My purse here. I was gonna remind her. Yes, um, is made by a ministry called Pearl and this is a specific ministry that's been set up. It's a nonprofit to help women out of um, trafficking, uh, they, they're they working at the brothels, and our teammate, it's, PEARL stands for Preventing Exploitation and Restoring Lives. So it's a sewing business, they teach the women how to sew, the women bring their children if they have them, and weekly they're learning new skills so that they can have a business and not be selling themselves. And they're learning b biblical principles, not all of them are believers, uh, many of them aren't. Uh, so our teammate is doing this as a way of helping Indonesian women and she's also they do she has some younger women working now with her they go into schools and talk about higher risks okay if you stay in school and get your education it's going to reduce your risk of being trafficked being sold off island to go work in Singapore and it'll be wonderful and send your money back no you don't want to do that so she's just helping the, them be educated and doing all kinds of things from childcare to finances to jobs to what does a good relationship look like? What's a healthy relationship? So we support them as well and they've had numerous women live in their home as they're doing this ministry too. So we are just excited to see very different life than what we've had here. Even in Germany, we were not involved heavily in local ministry because it just wasn't we had teammates who worked in a german church but we never were involved that much we talked to our neighbors they didn't quite understand what we were doing at this international school but in indonesia there's a huge ministry opportunities every day um, just to connect with people pray with them sometimes provide them with jobs and we really love that it was really blessing us in many many ways so that was part of what we were doing <laughs> Yeah, so this is what the parents of our students are uh, frequently involved with, is uh, ministry of this sort. And uh, we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about <coughs> uh, missionary kids. Um, and we have some stories of uh, some of our students over there that I think a lot of times you can uh, illustrate things um, a lot more entertainingly with stories uh, than with facts or whatever. Um, but <coughs> the uh, the... The students at Mountain View, a lot of them, um, a lot of them are Korean, and I, for the longest time, I wondered, you know, why is it that there's so many Korean 
students in American schools. Why don't they have Korean students? Why don't they have Korean schools if there's so many of them? Um, and the reason is, is because uh, the uh, competition to get into Korean universities is absolutely cutthroat. And each school has a certain number of positions that are reserved for Korean uh, expatriates who have not been able to receive a Korean education. So it turns out it's actually more advantageous for Koreans to learn in English and then get into a Korean university that way than to learn in Korean and be competing with uh, all their classmates back home is the idea. So there's, um, so we had a lot of uh, Korean students. Uh, we had some uh, Indonesian students. Most of the Indonesian students that we had were of Chinese origin, so Chinese Indonesian, um, and they've been in Indonesia for generations and generations. But uh, very hardworking, very industrious. There's uh, some very distinct cultural differences between Chinese Indonesians and then the Javanese people, for instance, who we were a part of. Ethnic Indonesians. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to tell you about uh, uh, one of my students. And uh, he was, I had him in English and then also coached him in basketball. And uh, he was a better basketball player than he was an English, an English student. Um, that he, this was his thing, he loved it a lot. And his um, sophomore year, at the end of his sophomore year, um, his dad changed jobs and uh, they lost some of the finances that they had available. And so he transferred to just an Indonesian school uh, there in town. And uh, this was, uh, ended up not being um, a good thing for the poor young man, and uh, he went into a deep depression, and um, <clears throat> he ended up attempting suicide um, and failed. And he took a bunch of pills, but woke up the next day, and, uh, and God told him that he had a, a very specific plan for his life. And so he ended up um, reconnecting with our superintendent. He told him the story. Um, he, we ended up with a tuition waiver, I guess, and he came back to school, but he was a changed person his senior year. He was back for his, uh, for his senior year. And uh, that was, it was exciting uh, to see. And I didn't really have the best relationship with him. I couldn't be like, hey, why are you different? What's going on? You know, but I gently asked him, and he's like, I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the year. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And so then he went and told me his whole story. Long story short, he went to college. He uh, wanted to, uh, in the States, yeah, he was studying theology and uh, he's studying PE. And so this last year, he came back and he was uh, one of our PE teachers. And so that was, that was a lot of fun to, first of all, be relating to him. Yeah, he was a good runner. <clears throat> be relating to him as a student and then be relating to him as a colleague. And so I was like, you got to stop calling me Mr. Tebby. And he's like, it just feels so weird. <laughs> well, and his initials are DT and his initials are DT. Yeah. And the kids <clears throat> call him DT. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. You want to tell him about Luke? Sure. <clears throat> or, well, actually, I was going to tell him about, yeah, Josh. Luke and Josh. So, um, Long story, but back in Germany, I was teaching and coaching more before we had children, and that was a big part of my life. At the beginning, of, I had Beth Eisinger, and uh, now McBride. It was, and, and just enjoyed being with my students, being with my athletes, but then as I became a mother of more and more little girls, I just stopped teaching and then eventually stopped coaching. One of my first runners, who I think was in Beth's class, is that right? Josh Grubb, or was she in Tab? 
Yeah, Josh was in her class. He ended up he heading out to Westmont after he graduated from Black Forest um, and became a coach himself, graduated from Westmont and has become a very successful coach out in California. So he's still coaching, still running a ton. He's 35, 36, um, 37. Anyways, he uh, is out there coaching in California. Well, I was started coaching a bit more again in, in Indonesia, and one of my little guys in junior high, well, in elementary school, Luke, uh, just loved to go out for runs. So he would run any time he could with me. His mom actually coached basketball with Dan. She's a basketball player in college. So we connected really well with their family. And, but Luke just loved to run anytime, anywhere. Let's run up this mountain, Mrs. Tebby. Okay, Luke, I'll try to keep up with you. <laughs> Can't quite keep up with him like I used to. But I loved the challenge, and he loved the fun. And so uh, we would just do all kinds of fun, crazy, and, and groups of kids that would join us. Short, long story short, his grandmother became sick and his mother felt that they needed to come back to the States, they're in Michigan, to care for her, to live with her, and uh, she was struggling with cancer. So they left halfway through the year last year, and it was a hard year already. No, the, this was last two, a year and a half ago, actually. Juliet was in second grade in his mother's class. Um, and Luke was very sad to leave, but he was getting better as a runner and everything had shut down. There were no races. We'd done tons of road races together in elementary and beginning of junior high. And he's the same age as our second. So he will be a freshman in high school, actually. He was at, in seventh grade at the time. He was really wanting to race and there just was nothing to do. So they moved back to Michigan for grandma and he continued to run there and started getting into the cross country and track in Michigan. Well, this past year, uh, well, it was last summer, his mom wrote to me and said, could you write some workouts for Luke? He just, he's not being challenged by his coach and he just needs a bit more. His coach is a sprinting coach. He's not really a distance runner. And so I'm like, well, I could, but we're in the middle of moving and then we decided to move here for a year. I said, let me refer you to one of my former runners, Josh from BFA. So I wrote to Josh and I said, hey, do you think you could write a summer workouts for this runner of mine from, from uh, Mountain View, from Indonesia. And he said, actually, that's, I have a business doing <laughs> coaching online. I'm like, what? And he, st he coaches a big team, but this is another job that he does. He's like, I'm doing virtual coaching. I mean, I'll write workouts, send videos of stretching and other strength training. So I'm like, oh, great. And he said, I do have a fee, but I, I can waive that. I'm like, no, 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 I want to bless this family. We'd like to pay for you to coach my former runner. So he wrote these workouts and Luke did them and loved them. And they did Zoom calls and they connected. And his mom and dad said, we're gonna keep hiring you to keep doing workouts for our son this year. And so he has really progressed in his running, thanks to one of my former runners. And it just amazes me how God has, and, and I was just with my coach, who's in his 70s, still coaching. And, and I just love to say to him, you know what, we're down to, we're, we're going on the third generation of coaching now. And I just, I feel like God has blessed me through running and, and he's blessed others and now they're blessing others. And that's just something that's really close to our hearts. And that has been really hard for us these last two years because you can teach virtually, you can do a lot of things virtually, but a basketball team just really can't play games virtually. Runners can be coached virtually, but to run races, we did a virtual race with our six of our family on a track. It, it was okay, but it's not the same as running a race with 400 people. 
And so I'm just really blessed to see how God has just kind of continued what he instilled in my heart. And we're praying that we will again have the opportunity to coach. But it's been a hard two years for us in that sense. But that has been just encouragement from God. A little, I know what you love and I know what you love to see. It just blesses my heart. So that's my little story. <laughs> so I wanted to tell about one of my uh, students who graduated just recently. <clears throat> I'm going to call her Jenny. And uh, when she, this is years and years ago when she was uh, in seventh grade, her older sister uh, was a Christian and uh, was concerned about her younger sister. And so she talked to her parents, you've got to enroll her in this Christian school. And so her uh, parents did that. And Jenny, when she came, was actually, I didn't know this at the time, but apparently was strongly animist. And so animism is where they worship the, 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 the frightening jungle gods. Um, and uh, anyway, so her home was just far enough away that it was worth the family's while to enroll her as a boarding student rather than have a real long commute every day. And so they were in another city. And so uh, Jenny was uh, living at the dorm, and one of the things that she found out was her dorm parents were reluctant to enforce bedtime if there was a deep, important theological discussion going on. And so she would just uh, pester her dorm parents with uh, question after question, and that actually didn't last long. They, they eventually cottoned on to exactly what her motivation was, and it was like, no, no, we're not going to talk about Jesus anymore. It's time for bed. <clears throat> I'm going to do that. But um, this is a, a very curious young lady, very intelligent young lady, and uh, she, I think before the end of the, her first year, uh, she became a Christian and really took off from there. And so very much investigating the faith, uh, she took uh, a real lively interest in apologetics, and um, it was, it's been really neat to uh, see her uh, grow and develop in the Lord. And so, yeah. Well, um, yeah, one, one other little story, another ministry opportunity. We've got a gal whose family has gone through, her older brother and sister went through Mountain View, and she is the, actually, she's the second in the family. Her brother's younger, but she's down, she has Down syndrome. Anna is her name, and um, she's 21, but she's attending classes about at a ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade level. She took my health class when I, my last health that I was teaching, and she took Dan's speech class, I think the same semester before COVID. So it was the fall before COVID hit everything. And um, her mom would go, come with her to class or an Indonesian uh, helper. And her mom was really excited about how she was changing because of having to speak in front of class and do speeches. And her mom would have to help her write the speeches and things. She was also encouraged by how, like we did some different things in health class. Okay, we're gonna study physical activity and we're gonna do some physical activity. How Anna just really felt better and she slept better and she just, her brain fog was gone. She just really, most Down syndrome kiddos, adults are overweight. It's just a typical part of who they are. Um, they're, they have challenges in that way. And so her mom was really encouraged that her daughter was feeling better and losing weight and just, it was great. So she was, she actually got Anna to get her own visa to be a motivational speaker for disabilities in Indonesia. And her mom has an outreach to disabled parents. It's amazing. And then she's 
trying to keep her moving. So she's like, do you have a daughter that would like to play with my daughter? Just do activities and games. Maybe one of your girls could help her. So the girls have a cousin who is on the spectrum, is autistic, so they've worked a little bit with challenging kiddos. And, they, and so I said, what about my fifth grader? She loves to play games and she's just crazy fun. She and her friend maybe could play with Anna a couple times a week. And so they had this little ministry. This gal wanted to, the mom wanted to pay them. And I said, just a little bit. But it's really, this is a friendship exercise, fun thing. And Anna just loves the friendship with my 11-year-old. And it's just been one other little side thing that God has provided for our family in a time when it's just been uh, and Katie has been homeschooled. She hasn't been able to be with her best friends most of the day, but three times a week, she and her friend were there with Anna playing games. I mean, Anna would text her on Facebook, text me and say, I can't wait to do hopscotch with Katie, and just having fun, and in a way that was completely different from what we've done before, and that just has opened doors. Katie, I feel like all of our girls are learning how to relate, and the older girls would eat lunch with Anna when we were having school, um, and talk with her, and just it's just really opened another door of them seeing another way that God can use them in ministry, and can bless them through Anna. I mean, she writes notes to people, and She's just such a blessing to our school, this sweet little gal. And But it, it was a blessing to her family to have Anna involved. Now she's got her own visa, and she's able to live there with her parents um, and do ministry through motivational speaking to disabled kiddos and their parents. And um, that was just one thing God gave for us to do this year that was very different and out of the box for us. But we loved it. So. So the uh, phase of life that we're going to be in this year <clears throat> is going to be helping MKs um, adjusting back to life in their passport country. And so we got four MKs of our own. Um, but we're also looking forward to connecting with former students. And uh, this is, this is a, I guess, a feature of MK education that I should have expected, but for some reason I didn't. And uh, it started uh, really a couple years ago, one of our former furloughs. Um, we were just connecting with as many former students as we could. And it was just so neat to be interacting with these people as adults and not be wagging my finger at them about forgetting homework assignments or something. And uh, <clears throat> so that was, that was really great. Um, some of the challenges, <clears throat> excuse, me, excuse me, some of the challenges uh, that MKs have um, as they're adjusting to life back in their uh, passport culture. So this is the, the culture from the country from which they hold a passport, I guess is what I mean to say. Um, a, there's a lot of things that we sort of take for granted as far as like knowledge of pop culture and how that's a part of like our everyday activities and speech and so on and so forth. And a lot of these references are just completely baffling. And so um, one, of, uh, one of our former students, uh, he was here in the States for college and he had a, um, this, this get together there was a group of people who were out, they were having a campfire or something like that, and uh, he had this water jug. He's like, what should I do? And the guy's like, oh, throw it in my bed. And he's like, throw it in my bed? What's he talking about? And he had no idea that the back of a pickup truck was like called a bed, and so it was, this it was completely baffled him. Um, references to songs or TV shows, uh, this can be... Uh, I guess difficult and confusing. And when these things come up, um, I guess like MKs, they're reminded that there's something different about them. 
And one thing that always comes up when MKs are talking, when they're, they're being candid, is the word weird, you know? And it's just like, I just feel weird. And the reason is because there's so many ways in which they're American. And so there's just American all the way through. And then there'll be a particularly Indonesian habit that nobody notices and really has anything to say about when we're in Indonesia, simply because there's parts of the culture that we assimilate. And that just flashes up and it's like very odd and everybody stops what they're doing and looks at them and they feel weird. And uh, this is a, a normal part of the thing. I was talking with a friend of mine in Indonesia and um, he had more recently come to the field, like the past five years or so. And uh, I mentioned that, you know, the adjusting back to the U.S. is going to be difficult. It's going to present challenges. And I know that there's going to be ways in which my kids are weird. And he was alarmed and shocked and like, oh my gosh, you know, why would you say something like that? And it's like, yeah, you know what? It really is okay because these are items of interest is what it is. This is ways in which people are, are like very interesting. And so um, just knowing that that's going to happen is, uh, makes, makes a difference. Our kids and kids here in the States um, actually in many ways have it a lot easier than Korean kids. One of the things that, you know, we've sort of grown in uh, teaching a large number of Korean kids in Germany and then a much larger number of Korean kids in Indonesia is a heart for uh, uh, Korean students. And so the language and culture, so they've been learning in English and they got to go back and in a very competitive academic environment apply that learning to Korean where they have a different set of yeah. They also are learning in English, but they often live with Indonesian house helpers and are in an Indonesian culture. So in my mind, I'm thinking, if I was learning Indonesian through a German translator, yeah, my brain hurts just thinking. <laughs> and one, one year, the very first day of the year, I went and handed out a little survey, and you know, it was just, you know, what's your name, and where do you live, and um, where are you from, and what do your parents do, just regular vanilla questions like that, just to get to know them a little bit better. And then one question I thought would be kind of interesting is like, how many languages do you speak? And so one kid returned uh, his answer, it was three quarters. So I'm like, do you mean one and three quarters? And he's like, no. He's like, I'm still learning English. And my parents tell me my Korean isn't any good. And I was like, that's just heartbreaking. You know, just the idea that um, you're not really able to express yourself fully in any language is, uh, is very difficult. So there's a lot of challenges, uh, very real challenges uh, that these kids are facing uh, that is gonna be difficult for them to overcome. Um, one of the things that we hear all the time uh, working in Asia is that you know this is an honor and shame culture and uh, people are gonna be shy and you have to learn you know, that this is okay. And um, if somebody wants to be shy, and they're happy with it, that is okay. But many times they are not okay with it. Many times they're, they wish that they could be more outgoing. They wish that they weren't nervous in social situations and so on and so forth. And that is, um, that's frankly been one of the most difficult parts of the job is uh, because I am kind of aware of my appearance, you know, I'm tall and bald and uh, I use my teacher voice and so I'm loud and uh, it can take a long time uh, to get to know the kids and uh, get them so that they're not, they're not intimidated by me. Um, but one of the things that 
it was a real blessing because this happened right before we left, is uh, we had some former students uh, come back uh, for graduation. And so they had some good friends um, who were graduating, and so they wanted to come back and, and see the graduation ceremony. And so it was two sisters, and so one was, um, I graduated four years ago, and the other graduated two years ago, and just had a chance to go and talk with them. And wouldn't you know it, they'd stop being shy and it was just like talking with another adult, and it was just so neat to uh, hear what it was that had been happening in their lives and how they're growing and developing and what God was doing. They're still walking with the Lord, first of all, which was like very encouraging. And, uh, and that was a real blessing. But the, um, for a lot of MKs, uh, this shyness thing, those that are introverts are blessed because they're not uncomfortable with being shy, but there's a lot of extroverts or even just not raging introverts that uh, have a very difficult time sort of overcoming shyness uh, simply because everything around them is so different and confusing and so on and so forth. One of these gals actually was coming back to be a missionary. So she's Korean, her parents, she grew up in Indonesia. She's very Indonesian, but looks Korean, but she's coming back to minister to Muslim women and she's single just graduated from college and she's so excited. I mean, three days on the island, we saw her and she's like, yeah, I'm ready to start language school and or improve my language. We were, wow. I also wanna say that um, we were blessed at this, at the final stage of this year. It was just hard preparing to move to the States for a year and our girls didn't wanna leave and all the emotions that that, it, it's a lot. <laughs> I carried a lot of it. And, and still, but um, Dan was asked to speak at graduation, and that was a real honor for us because our leaving Germany was not as, well, we told everybody, it just was a harder leave. Our kids were younger, just th so many reasons, but this was kind of a blessing from God, too, that the senior class acknowledged, we really appreciate you as our teacher, Mr. Tebby. You taught us in seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade and 12th grade or whatever grades. They had them for a number of grades and they really wanted yeah, every him. Grade, every grade except ninth grade. Yeah. So, they so just, poor kids. It, but it was an honor, even though they were a challenging class. They asked him to speak at graduation. So that was really neat. So one question that we've been fielding a lot, and so we're just going to uh, mention it now is um, just our, uh, what is it that we're doing back home this year and uh, plans for the future. And um, to get into this, I wanted to give you guys just a little bit of background about like how COVID affected uh, the school over there. Um, the Indonesia is, there's many things that are wonderful about the country, but the governance by the government, I would not say is necessarily one of them. Um, it's, uh, they have a lot of difficulty implementing things. And so when COVID came along, the, there were all sorts of plans and initiatives and posters that got put out and things that you would see in the newspaper. But really the only thing that made a difference, the only thing that happened is uh, they clamped down on all flights entering and leaving the country and um, they locked down all the schools. And so all the, and we had the chance to try and do some online learning um, and that was not as effective as we all hoped it that it would be, but it was, it was something and we were glad to be able to do something. But many of the national schools, um, the public schools, uh, the lockdowns just meant a completely wasted year where kids are staying, they weren't even staying at home, they just weren't able to enter the school. And so um, as far as we could tell, there, everybody was going about business as normal, a higher percentage of them were masked. And so in Asia, there's always a number of people that wear masks, I mean, ever since we got there. 
And so it's a lot more are wearing masks now, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of curtailing of activities or people changing their behaviors really in any sort of way. But schools are getting locked down and it seems for any excuse uh, this would happen. So it made it very difficult uh, academically. And one thing that we noticed um, is our girls weren't bringing, weren't, didn't have any homework. And the reason they didn't have any homework is because um, everything takes so long learning online, they'd be bored. And so it's like, well, let me finish my math homework and uh, now I'll finish my science homework. And by the end of school, they didn't have any homework left. And uh, we, they, they, need, they need some sort of academic challenge is a big thing. Um, another thing is uh, just um, socializing. Um, we had all these uh, wonderful ideas, you know, during the first lockdown. <laughs> it was just like, oh man, when we see each other again, it's going to be wonderful. Everybody's going to be hugging, and it's just like no more conflict. And it's not really that there was any conflict that came back, but everybody was so scared of each other, and it, it, the kids had to learn how to be friends again. And that ended up taking, I mean, that was not a quick thing. I mean, that ended up taking over a year. And um, so, and these are all things that we notice as we have cabin fever um, stuck in our homes um, and not able to get out and see other friends and stuff. Um, and so, we have, uh, we're uh, back here in the States for this year. Our hope and our prayer is that um, the Indonesian government will stop taking it out on schools, um, that the education opportunities are gonna open back up. But realistically speaking, we know that that might not happen. And so one of the things that we are looking at and considering this year is if we can't go back to Indonesia, what will the next step be? And at this point, we're not sure, but we would like to ask you guys to join with us in prayer as far as figuring out next steps. I think that's all that we have to share. So where do we go from here? <laughs> well, thank you. So uh, next step in this is we get to field some questions. So there's some questions uh, that have been dropped in the chat. But before I get to those, if there's any questions you guys have, have here, I'll ru come run the uh, mic over to you. Yes. OK, here we come. Are most of the Muslims devout, as far as you know, devout Muslims or just cultural and, you know, not really following Islam? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I don't know percentages. Um, there's, I'd say most Muslims that we can tell, like in our neighborhood and stuff, uh, they would attend church on, or church, <laughs> mosque. They go to the uh, midday service at the mosque on Friday and then a much smaller percentage would go every day. Um, one feature of Islam in Indonesia is there's a lot of syncretism, and so they really have no problem with uh, incorporating different animist beliefs um, into their, into their uh, Muslim faith. For instance, um, one of my friends, uh, he was south in Yogyakarta, is the name of the big city that's south of us, and he was down at the beach, and there's this group of Muslims, and uh, they were on the beach and they were praying. They weren't facing Mecca. They were facing south. They were praying to the queen of the South Seas. Um, and so this is not the sort of thing that you find in many other Muslim countries. It's, uh, it's very different. But there's, there's a number of Muslims there totally okay with going and integrating their culture, which is the way they think of that, 
and their, their Muslim faith. Um, there was also, I mean, there's different parts of Indonesia. So on the island of Sumatra, <clears throat> excuse me, where the tsunami was up north in Aceh, very devout Muslim. I mean, those people, like the women can't drive. There's no insurance. They're not even supposed to ride on the back of motorbikes. I mean, it's really, they don't go out that much. Very different from where we were. So I was thinking that's what we were going to. But I would go out running by myself. Now, I would be respectfully wearing three-quarter pants and a shorts. I would never wear a tank top and shorts, just out of respect. But there She brought a friend's people. dog, and this thing was huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are there were women that would go, oh, I'll just go at 5 in the morning and wear my shorts and tank top. But I just felt that that wasn't appropriate for the setting we were in. So it just depended. But where we were on Java, it's pretty low-key in terms of devout Muslims. Yeah, so I think the quicker answer to that question, as we've talked all around it, is um, there's quite a few devout Muslims, but even the devout Muslims practice a very watered-down form of Islam compared to the other places that I've lived, like Pakistan or Jordan. So. Uh, Dan, it's, um, Michelle, I don't know if you're an MK or not, but I know that Dan is. So, um, Are there any things from your experience as an MK that have uh, informed your teaching and the work that you're doing now helping um, MKs in the States? Yeah, that's a good question. In um, Germany, um, all the other MKs, or the vast majority of the MKs in Germany were Western, and so American, Canadian, British, uh, things like that. And I found it very easy to like connect and relate with them. And so just maybe you know a sense of, like what questions to ask, and um, instantly able to understand you know where they're coming from uh, from an, an emotional. Uh, spiritual perspective, uh, things like that. Um, the Asian MKs in Indonesia are much more of a closed book, and uh, it was it was a lot more difficult uh, to get to know them. And in many ways, they were okay with that. And so it's uh, it it can be pretty intense to get to know somebody new, you know, quickly uh, for the first time. Um, they might be asking, you know. Uh, uh, difficult questions or something like that, and you prefer to get to know them first for a while, and so on and so forth. Um, but the, yeah, it's hard to think of specific ways. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be it. Do you remember any challenges yourself in terms of, you know, either um, acclimating to the uh, countries where your families live or um, acclimating back to your passport country? Yeah, well, the easiest thing to point to is I have these massive gaps in my American cultural experience. And so uh, people go and reference like, you know, different, um, different songs or different bands. And I'll be like, oh, who sings that? And every head in the room turns and they're like, you don't know? And you're like, what do you mean, bye bye Miss American Pie? How do you not know that song? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I know it now. Um, but that's, that's, I guess, a, a big thing. Another thing is um, it, it's, it's very easy for us here to take home for granted. And um, so, for instance, one of the things that was especially confusing to me is people would say, uh, where, where were you born? And it's like, why do you care where I was born? Is this an official form or something? Well, it's where you're from. It's like, okay, well, I was born in Boston, but we moved before I was nine months old, and I, I've never been back since. I have nothing in common with, you know, people in Boston. 
but so that's not where you're from? It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, this is tough. So just things like that um, are, are, are difficult. Uh, in my experience, like MKs, they uh, typically deal with the high level of transition in their lives that seems, the response to that seems to manifest in um, their restless spirits and uh, they're just always wanting to be on the move and so on and so forth. And for those of you that know my dad, I put my dad in that category. He's a restless spirit. And then there's those people who really, really value stability. And I would actually put myself in that category. And so even though we've done a lot of moving, um, there's a lot of things that I really like the way they are, as Michelle found out the first time she moved the couch. After five years of marriage, I'm just going to rearrange the furniture in the living room, and Dan's like, why? It's fine. Just a little change here, honey. Um, I actually went to the same school K through, 13, through 12th grade, so I had 13 years. My biggest challenge was moving my sophomore year of high school from the house. And he jokes about a friend who's like, yeah, I had this really hard move. We moved from like one suburb, like Carmel to, you know, Zionsville. Oh, it was huge. And he, he just jokes. He's like, what? You moved 20 minutes away? What's the big deal? So I, I think I see those glaring things more than he does. But now that I've lived half my life outside of America, I'm beginning to feel a little bit more empathetic. <laughs> for him and people like him and my girls. Still, still don't completely understand it, but it does help to have a bit more empathy. All right, so you talked about your girls being weird, um, and that's now on the internet for everyone to, to see for all of eternity. Um, good way. Weird. Yeah, weird in a good way. We, items of interest, I think you said that. This, this is what makes people interesting. Um, well, thinking at, um, from the perspective of, a, you know, ascending church, it sends people out, and then from time to time we get to receive you back. Um, what's the best way for us to welcome your girls? Um, at this stage of life, uh, peers are incredibly important, and so the, um, they very rarely are seeking out time with mom and dad. <laughs> They're always trying to get away and go spend time with friends. And uh, just the friendly friction that happens between relationships among peers um, ends up being the sort of thing that can make uh, the, the items of interest, let's say, um, delightful, interesting, and kind of funny, as opposed to um, it's, it's more embarrassing if it's people that you don't know very well, I guess, is the big thing. And so, so being, able to, being able to spend time with other kids their age um, is a big deal. That's helpful. I do think just because we have such history here, the girls are like, oh, we know. We remember the Mitchell family, and we remember the yeah, McClung family, and we remember these different families. So even like things like sending our, the Valentine's things, they would come once a year, and the girls would just tear those open. Oh, it's this person, or um, the Snyders, Kara wrote me, or, you know, just they loved that. And that, that was one thing. And when we talk about coming back to Indianapolis, oh, these are the families, Maren Brightweezer, we're going to see her. And sure enough, she showed up with dinner the first night and brought them cookies. Oh, so, you know, they just having that stability of there's people I know there. This isn't a completely new environment and people I've never met, and yeah, they'll be embarrassed tomorrow, and like they don't want to, especially our teenagers, like, oh, don't make a stand up. But at the same time, they know, yeah, we're visiting, and we're the visiting missionaries, and that's how it goes. 
um, we're not making them come up as a family like his dad's family and sing in front of the church. <laughs> oh, he has stories. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think for me, as he says, points of interest, it was. Those were the kids that I, like every summer, the missionary kids that were up, I'm like, wow, they dress differently or they talk differently or they just have different feature, you know, gestures that they do. They're from France or they're from Germany or they're from Brazil or whatever. I was always very much attracted to that. Like, it's so different from small town. I mean, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, but they just, it, it was so intriguing to me to see these kids and just to walk up and talk with them or have them over as families and say, so what's it like at your school in France? And do you play sports or do you, you know, I was always intrigued to hear those stories, and I think it helps the kids to be able to talk about that, the, their lives, and or share. We're trying to get our girls to do like photo books, so they can like point to the book, and it's not awkward them. And this is my best friend, or Hannah made our slideshow. She's like, oh, I can get all these pictures, and she got them from all our different devices, and got it all. Oh, we should get pictures of this and that. So being able to do that kind of thing, like we can say, your slideshow was awesome, Hannah, and you helped mom and dad, especially mom with my technical, technological difficulties. Yeah, um, I think to try and answer that question, there's, there's a lot of stuff we already do well here at, at Faith. And um, the, the previous furloughs uh, that we've had, we've been able to be involved with reach group. Do we still call it reach group? Community group, yeah. And so, in our family, we still call it reach yeah. group. And that anyway. was what they were asking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, on the drive down here, I mean, this is what the girls were asking, like, oh, are we gonna see so-and-so from reach group? Are we gonna see so-and-so? Are we gonna see them? And so they're, they've been able to build some relationships um, that they enjoy and are looking forward to, you know, sort of continuing and reestablishing and stuff. So there's a bunch of things that we already do very well. As far as like other suggestions, not much comes to mind. Maybe the flip side of the question is when we, uh, when we walk up and see them tomorrow, what should we not say? Like I know welcome home is not the right thing to say. <laughs> what, what should we not say? I don't know, use your best judgment. <laughs> I was hoping to hear stories of, of dumb stuff people have said well, to you. Well, even, <laughs> hey, I'm Pastor Joey, tell me which one of the tubby girls you are again. I know there's four of you. Because uh, some of them, it's like, everybody knows Hannah's name because she was the first one. And then people are like, oh, oh, Rochelle, I don't remember that name. <laughs> so this is, this is actually um, our church in Cyprus that we were a part of. Uh, we had a, an elder of the church who was from Lebanon. And if you've met a typical Lebanese person, is endlessly charming. They have this incredible hospitality culture. And what that means is no matter what situation, they know how to charm you to death. And so this guy had never met a stranger. I mean, he was just friends with everybody in the world. And he saw all these familiar faces at Christmas time when people were back, you know, visiting family. And he's like, let's have everybody who is back from college up here up front. And so I'm like, oh, brother. So we went and tromped up to the front. And I look around, and I, I didn't recognize anybody else that was standing up front there. And uh, his bright idea was to have uh, the college students sing to the congregation. He was going to have us sing a song to the congregation. And there just looks of alarm all up and down the line. <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden I had an idea, I whispered to my brother, I was like, dude, let's belt it out. And so we were gonna make this a song that everybody was gonna remember for the rest of their lives. And, uh, and then, like, the elder, he caught his wife's eye and she like, you know, 
was like, no, no, no. And so he changed his mind, and, you know, we went and sat down and then sang together all as a congregation. And I was so disappointed because, like, it was going to be epic. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, so if you want to relive that. that tomorrow, yeah, yeah. we can make it happen. I mean, you so. could ask our girls, what's your most epic memory of Indonesia or okay. something like that? Right. Who's your best friend? Whatever. I uh, think they'd appreciate it. Yeah, that sounds good. They'll talk. All right, well, thank you guys. Appreciate the time that you've, oh, did we have one more question before? Okay, here we go. Last one, and then we're out of time. Just rehearse us on the name of your girls from top to bottom, thank you. Yes, Hannah is going to be in 10th grade. Rochelle will be in 9th grade. They're both significantly taller than me. Katie and Juliet are almost my height. Katie will be in 6th grade, Juliet will be in 4th grade, so. Are they tall. still in height order? No, Rochelle is oh. taller. She's the tallest now. Okay, second. see, my and brother number two is taller than yeah, me. Yeah, Juliet's feet are it. so big, she might be taller than all of her older sisters eventually. Okay. Thanks to Grandma so Tebby. It goes Hannah, Rochelle, Juliet, Katie. Yeah, well, Katie and Juliet are about the same. Katie, Juliet. Okay, all right, yeah. all right, well. Same in height. So I'll go up to and say, now which one are you yeah. again? Okay. <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you uh, for sharing with us this, this last hour. We've appreciated it. Thank you guys. And, and oh my gosh, I totally forgot to ask the questions that were online. So we'll leave with this one. How can we pray for your daughters this year? This comes from another teacher. Oh, yay. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we have, uh, the big thing is going to be uh, just the uh, well, we have a big spiritual prayer uh, for them. And so one of the things that we are nervous about is uh, the kids being enrolled in a public school. Um, we're thankful in that the local public school, uh, a lot of the people at the church that we're attending um, up in Wheaton, they really like it. They say that they have a lot of uh, Christian teachers. The district as a whole has not gone crazy and so there's uh, conflict, and there's mean kids, and there's nice kids, and so on and so forth, but it really does not seem to be uh, too out of the ordinary. But having said that, um, we're fully aware that they're going to have uh, some classmates, um, some girls who are identifying as guys or whatever, and uh, this is one of the things that we're going to want to be uh, talking, talking through with them. What, is exactly, what exactly does this mean? Uh, what, is it, is, what is it that we think about this as Christians? And what's the appropriate response um, in this particular situation? You know, it's, it's the balance between love and grace and truth. And oh my goodness gracious, this is not something that um, there are easy answers to. And so that's, that's the big thing. Another thing, and this is actually closely related, is uh, they have some good friendships. And so we would love it if they were to have uh, some good solid relationships with other Christian Ladies, uh, some other Christian young men, and then also um, to be finding out what a uh, secular, what a non-Christian friend is like. Um, we're, we're hoping for the whole spectrum. Um, that's a big thing. And then finally, we'd like for the class to be hard enough that they have homework. So that's a big thing. All right. Well, thank you again so much for your time. And I assume you'll stick around for a few minutes if there's any other questions. And uh, make sure you've got on your calendars lunch tomorrow after church. Uh, we'll be providing a main dish, but you can bring a dessert or uh, a side to share. And uh, we'll get to hear, I assume, a little bit more about what's going on and what's to come. So thanks again. We appreciate it.